0: All right, welcome everyone to another episode of Behind the Human. I'm your host, Mark Champagne, and it's my job to unpack the stories and practices of people living at the top of their game personally and professionally. Today, we have just a dear friend of mine, someone I've, I've had the pleasure of working with and just such an inspiring, awesome human. Paula, she is an inclusive activist, disabled content creator, model, and speaker who has cultivated and created a space to redefine disability. At the age of five, Paula was diagnosed with cerebral palsy after experiencing brain damage from surgery, which caused a non-traumatic brain injury in the motor cortex region of her brain. On her journey with the cane, Paula shares her story about what it's like to live with a disability by amplifying the voices of her community and sharing their laughs, struggles and adventure. So good to have you here. Thanks for joining the show.
1: Hello, hello. It's so good to see you again. It's so good to just see also how far I've come after we both started working together, you know, thanks to you. So I'm super excited to have fun on this episode.
0: Oh, thank you. Well, we're going to have a good chat. I, I was, before we hit record, I was just saying how a bit selfishly this, uh, this is a good catch-up opportunity. But just knowing you, obviously, I know your message and your work. Uh, and I've experienced it personally while just even working with you. Uh, I know is, is, is much needed and helpful uh, in terms of uh, the world that we live in. Uh, just for context for the listeners, just so you know, uh, we, we met at uh, a Google pixel event uh last year now at this point right yeah it was last year yeah,
1: last year and, around october yeah october.
0: yeah and you i mean we'll get into this in, in a minute but you were you were uh, a part of that event it was a three-day retreat experience and i was running some of the mental fitness for the whole team and uh i'll never forget you pulled me over uh we were sitting on this this couch and we you, you just you opened up like immediately which was a beautiful thing to see and kind of the rest is history, and we'll fill in the blanks, but we started working together one to one and so forth. And um you're just doing such a beautiful work, uh, Paula. It's it's a real honor to have you on the show. So before we before we get into all of it, because you've listened listened to this show, so you know the the opening question that everyone gets. And you know, this is just to avoid the job titles and and all of that, because we'll get into the work shortly, but you're just too and I've probably asked you asked you this one-to-one as well. You, you know, who as we speak today, who are you?
1: So I am a disability activist, storyteller, model, content creator, but besides all those fun societal status sat- titles, yeah. I am a daughter, I am a sister. I am a friend, and I am Luna's mom. I have a mini golden doodle that came with me from Miami, yes. <laughs> New York City. So, you know, I always, yes, I you know, we all have those titles, but I believe that you should always go back to the core of what you really are and what really drives you. And, you know, some of the things driving me now in New York City are really getting into my activism work, um, full-time modeling, and being Luna's mom.
0: <laughs> yes, Luna's lucky, lucky little dog. She's traveling the world and has a great, great um, uh, mom. So that's awesome. Well, and thank you for entertaining uh, that question. I think it's just it's helpful to provide context uh, or behind the, the the person, right? I've I've heard you. I pulled this quote or this line, and you say, and I just want to ask a little bit more about it. But you've said, uh, "It's it's disability," or sorry, it's. Uh, it's like disability activism, but cooler. So what what is what does that mean to you?
1: Well, I mean, if you go back into the history of disability rights and disability activism, like at one point, you know, we were put into mental asylums because we were just different. You know, many of us were beheaded as witches because we, you know, looked a bit cynical or you know walked a little bit different, or our bodies our anatomy was a bit different, and that was already considered abnormal. You know, and I think that when you cross that over to the 20th century that we live in that we're so infused by these democratized social media platforms, I think we have a huge opportunity to redefine and repurpose things, you know, whatever way Mm -hmm. you want to see it. And, you know, back in the day you had a disability activist like Judy Human, May She Rest in Peace, that she was at the core of lawyers offices and the Senate and Congress fighting to get the ADA passed, you know, fighting to actually um democratize a disabled society and now we all do that in our own way through our social media platforms so like there are many activists who are consultants and who actually go into businesses and tell them what they're doing wrong and tell them you know how they can be better i am more on the creative side i like fashion i like beauty i like modeling you know i like all of those things. so that's my side of activism and then, of course, there are some other people who are actually disability lawyers who actually go and knock on Congress and they're like, I'm going to sue you for X, Y, and Z. Um, okay. So I think, you know, I think any type of activism nowadays has really repurposed and redefined itself because of these social media platforms. So I just think, you know, it's like disability activism, but just a bit cooler.
0: <laughs> yeah, it' to- it's totally you. Because, uh, you know, you also just... I think you, you touch on just real topics and, and topics that I think others might maybe shy away from or not have the the courage to speak. But I'm thinking about, you know, the sex ed segment that you yeah. talked about and all of that. We can get into that as well, Yeah, but just, you know, and, and just busting down assumptions and, and I, just to set context, I'd love to, you know, understand a little bit more about, uh, your story and specifically, uh, what. You know, you went through as, as a kid when you were uh five, and, and so forth, but just before that, like even for myself, Paula, and I felt that, I felt ashamed in in a way, and I was trying not to be too hard on myself. But when I first met you, I just automatically assumed like I wanted to ask like oh what like what did you, did you do something to your knee, or did something happen like what what are you recovering from?" And I feel like that's probably you probably get a lot of that. And I think that's probably the standard across the board for many, right? And yeah. it's not. And then after I was thinking, I'm glad he didn't say something like that. And It obviously wasn't coming from a you know a, a hurtful place by any means, but you know that's not your situation. And but we just like immediately, I mean, I'm generalizing, of course, but that because that was my experience. But I just assumed, and I didn't like that.
1: Yeah, you yeah. know. And I think that's what many people do. You know, they just assume, thankfully, you were able to kind of stop yourself and say, well, maybe, you know, I shouldn't say X, Y, or Z. But I have people, I mean, back when I lived in Miami, growing up, people would ask me blankly while I was in the supermarket, are you drunk? You know, literal phrases that you, people are not used to seeing things that don't look normal in a way. You're either, either look, awfully disabled in like a societal term or you look like you had an injury that can't be a disability because you're going to be disabled you know so there are all of these stigmas and then growing up of course I am originally from Caracas Venezuela where in Venezuela I was going in for a tonsillectomy to remove my tonsils and in that surgery there was brain damage that affected the quarter mordix region of my brain which is basically the part of your brain that controls your mortar, your mortar skills, whether from having a full length gait to being able to dorsiflex your feet, to be, to be able to move your toes, to be able to move your upper arms, you know, at fully disposition. So I had that brain injury. And I remember at first it was more or less seen as a stroke because the side effects didn't come in until like two to three weeks later. Where I started okay. acting up at home. Um, I started losing my mobility. My knees started yeah. crashing in with each other. And then one day I lost my voice. I completely just lost my ability to speak. And that was when my parents were just like, okay, I mean, I think we have to take her in. This is not viral anymore. This is obviously something neurological.
0: Yeah. Did they know like w- when you had the actual tonsil removal no, that surgery? No. Like, did anything come up?
1: Nothing came up. Um, and that was the weirdest part. So, of course, there was a side of it that could have been negligence. But, you know, like any hospital, their are covered. Yeah. up. So then my parents took me back into the emergency room and they were just running a whole bunch of tests on me. And one of the things that they saw in an MRI was that my brain was just very inflammated. It was swollen and, you know, doctors were scared that the paralysis or whatever damage was going on could be persistent and continue on throughout the rest of the body. So, immediately mm-hmm. they induced me into a coma, which lasted about a week. And then, as they woke me up, they saw that the coma, they saw that the brain damage did persist throughout the body, and I was essentially quadriplegic. So, that was like in a matter of two weeks. Wow. And, and I remember being diagnosed, uh, I remember being in the hospital for about one month. And there's a lot of things that I don't remember every time I sit down with my parents to have this conversation, which is a very hesitant and resistant topic at home. yeah, I don't remember anything. They described yeah. some things to me that I just don't remember. So I don't know if it was the coma. I don't know if it was trauma. I don't know if it was that my brain was shocked from the coma. I don't know. There yeah. are so many things that I don't remember. The hospital ends up releasing me because they were scared of negligence because A month and a half in, I didn't have a diagnosis. I didn't have a treatment plan. I didn't have a care plan. So as soon as I was diagnosed, I went back and I went to my parents' home in Venezuela. And I remember my body was all disconfigured. I was, essentially, I couldn't put my legs down. I was like a happy baby all the time, kind of like in a yoga pose. And I remember my grandfather had traveled the world because he had a phenomenal job back in the day that allowed him to do that. And he would collect things from countries as he would travel the world. And he had Chinese mats at home. For some reason he had these beautiful um, bamboo Chinese mats at home. And that ended up being my bed because there was no way that I could lay on a bed without rolling over all around the bed. So that ended up being my bed. And then my parents then saw that I couldn't chew. I couldn't swallow. So eating was also going to be an issue. Uh, Mobilizing me was going to be an issue. Um, I was constantly traveling in a car all around Venezuela to to find a diagnosis, to find something. And then my parents saw no opportunity in Venezuela to either get me diagnosed with a treatment care plan or to even feel that this could be a country that could offer me an adaptive lifestyle, quote unquote. And then that's when uh, we decided to move over to the USA, Miami.
0: Okay. Wow. So, and you were five, six years old around all of this. Okay. And then, because in terms of like how I know you now, there's obviously been a lot of progress on, on your mobility, right? But what, I guess what happened when you moved? Like what was that time frame of, of kind of, I guess there, there, would have, there would have been some sort of a treatment plan at, at one point that kind of got you to where you're at right now. Yeah,
1: so we got to Miami and then uh, as soon as we got to my, well, we actually came to Miami, but then we started traveling all around Florida just looking for doctors, opinions, et cetera. And the first doctor that we went to was a a neurologist, a very well-recognized neurologist in Miami. And he told my mom that in a garden of dead roses, I was the only red rose still alive.
0: Mm. Oh, wow. Yeah,
1: he literally told my mom that. And as soon as my mom heard that, she was just like, for some time, she finally had... Some beacon of hope. Yeah. Something that, you know, the doctors of Venezuela in Venezuela couldn't give her. Um, and then my mom was just like, Well, I need some clarity. My parents were like, Do you have, you know, some knowledge of her condition? Like, we don't know nothing. And then the neurologist just told her, like, she had brain damage. The brain damage affected primarily her legs. Her arms are might still be able to regain. of mobility, I still don't have proper 100% mobility on my left arm, mostly the hand, um, because of the dystonia. But um, he basically was the one that started treating me. After that, he sent me to an orthopedic because the orthopedic would kind of be better to explain how my body would be challenged with this condition and all the treatments I would have to get. But initially, after two weeks of being in Miami, I was officially diagnosed with a brain damage, with a non traumatic brain damage injury that caused a cerebral palsy. Cerebral okay. palsy is a condition that primarily affects premature children when their brain doesn't develop fully because either they were born premature or there was mm-hmm. loss of oxygen in the birth. Um, yeah. So there are many, many different types of CP. I am diagnosed with cerebral palsy diplegia because my legs are mainly the ones that are still affected. Yeah. Um, so in between that, I got into many, many different treatment plans. Very, very difficult exercise regimens. I was in a wheelchair when I arrived to Miami. And I remember we went to go see this physical therapist. And she's like, I'm going to get your daughter to walk again. And then, of course, my parents were so, you know, um, emotional. They didn't really believe anything. And then about six months, six to eight months into the treatment, um, that physical therapist told my mom to wait in the lobby. And then I came out walking with a walker that day.
0: Whoa. Well, let's just take a moment and sit in (laughs) that. I mean, I can feel that in my heart. Yeah. Wow. I have to ask because you were so young. Like, at what at what point do you feel like you really were understanding what was happening? Because I'm I'm trying to think. Like, my son, my second or first son is seven, and like, did you were you? I guess at five potentially. Like, did you know what was what was going on?
1: I didn't understand. I just kind of felt that. I was different. I kind of felt that there was something to me that was different. Elementary school wasn't that bad. Middle school was when things kind of got weird because you start engaging more socially. Yeah. You know, the the crowd changes, the priorities change. And it's not about school anymore. It's about looking pretty and being pretty. And, you know, so I think that's when it really hit me that I was like, shit, I'm different. Like yeah,
0: because yeah, up until that point, that it was kind of like, that was your normal, right? Obviously not normal to, you know, going through these different treatment plans and whatnot, but just how you were feeling, it was kind of your level of, of normal.
1: Yeah, and then um, around 13, 14 was when I really started feeling weird about the whole situation. I would ask my parents, hmm, and they didn't know how to approach my disability at all. They always said, yeah, you have a medical problem, you have a medical condition, but the word, dis- the word disability was never yeah. used in my house. It was okay. never allowed to be used. Um, and then in high school, obviously middle school, high school, you have kids coming up to you and asking you, hey, why do you walk like that? Hey, Are you ever going to be normal again? Hey, are you ever going to run? Hey, are you ever going to walk normal? And I have all these questions that I didn't have the answers to. So obviously that does something to your emotional core. You know, why am I being asked all these questions? First of all, that I don't have answers to. And second of all, my parents didn't even have answers to. (laughs) Yeah. Constantly, it's like tug of war with like the social part of disability and then the identity part of disability.
0: Yeah. I do want to ask you about that because, and, and, and you know me well enough, like I'm going to try to speak as, as, as honestly as I, as I can. Um, but if I say something that you're like, Hey, you know, you, there's different terminology that's probably more appropriate. Like call me out on that because I, I really want this conversation before we get into all of your work, of course, I just want this conversation to be accessible to a lot of people because there's, there are people right now, like I think as, even as, as parents, you know, teaching our kids at a certain age, if there is someone that doesn't walk like you, you know, like what can we, what can we say to our kids or if someone on the other side is that parent, like your parents with someone that uh, has a disability. Like, I guess what's, what are the basics from your, from your perspective of, of, of the kind of conversations that we can have to, you know, just make it, I don't know if this is the right word, but just make it fair for everyone. In a way. No, I
1: think I think like any social problem, whether from politics to gender to wealth and finances
0: yeah, yeah, you're right.
1: It all starts at home. You know, we have we have severe issues like hunger in the world to like how financial literate you are, and unfortunately all of that yeah. starts at home. And I think the more open you are to having these conversations and the more of a, I don't want to say a democratic, but I would want to say an open view you have to it, the easier it'll be for people to go out into the world and not feel or be so challenged by these topics. Right? If you kind of just... As children, we're all very inquisitive. We all want to know why. We all want to question everything. And I find um, when I'm out, back in the day, I would hear, you know, if if, if there was a kid looking at me, the parents would be, don't look at her, don't look at her, don't look at her. And now I see parents just letting kids look at me and letting them come over and play with my cane, you know, asking me, "Can, can I touch your cane? You know, and I think it's important because you are who you brought, who you were brought up to be, you know, yeah. no matter how many years in therapy, you're going to have to deal with that as an adult because you have trauma and because you have lots of stuff going on, you are who you were brought up to be. And I think it's very important to be open to these conversations at home from a young start, you know, make sure that if you read books to your kids on the weekends, make sure there's a book about disability in there. You know, if you see the the disability parking sign and if you see that there is somebody parked there without a disability placard, let them know that's wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, if you're in the subway and there's an elevator and there are stairs, make sure you're able to distinguish why there are both uh, methods of access. Yeah, You know, because then we grow up and we're like... Every time we encounter somebody with a disability we act like robots we're like uh I don't what uh, you know we're yeah. so
0: well we're conditioned to be comf- always comfortable and that puts people in an uncomfortable situation and instead of just actually having a human conversation it's like we we like just repel or leave mm-hmm. or retreat and it's like that's you know yeah. it's just not right
1: yeah and then of course i mean we have we have a long history of being oppressed you know, we have a long yeah. history of being oppressed from people themselves to the labor market, to politics, to just being seen as people. And we, all, we also have a history of being oppressed in many um, services and benefits that we think serve us, like the social security system and, you know, disability aid. But realistically, if I receive social security money, I can't get married. Because if my income goes up, I don't have benefits anymore. And if I don't have benefits anymore, I lose my medical insurance. So, what's gonna be? Am I gonna get married or am I gonna keep my medical insurance? You know, so there are also yeah. welfare programs that we think serve us, but realistically, they've kept us out of the job market. They've created an unemployment gap for X amount of years in the country. Yeah. And then, I don't even have a right to love somebody if tomorrow I would want to.
0: Hello, friends. Given you're here, I'm making the assumption that you're motivated to be mentally fit. So with that in mind, I want to let you know about the Better Questions newsletter, which publishes once or twice a month, providing all of us the opportunity to slow down, think and ask better questions. As you know, quality questions are my thing. And this is an opportunity to share the prompts I've studied and curated to help our minds be healthier, clearer, more intentional, and expand our mental capacity. You can sign up over at behindthehuman.com slash newsletter, which will also give you a preview of my debut book, Personal Socrates. That's behindthehuman.com slash newsletter. Now back to the show. How have you well before before that question i i guess was there a moment or, or an age range where it kind of all came to you in terms of like the life that you're living and the obviously the knowledge of the disability that 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 you're living with like where something flipped for you
1: for me i went to college for public relations and business. And I was always like, I'm going to work in fashion. I'm going to work in beauty. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. My long dream since I was a child was to be a model. I wanted to be a fashion model and I am now 20 years old. And now is when I get to be a model. So this goes out to anybody who thinks you're too old for anything. I don't think you're ever too old for anything, especially now in the market that we live in that really potentializes and capitalizes on ageism. Um, that's, yes. But that's for a whole nother conversation. Today. Yeah. But for me, it was really sitting in these PR meetings and these fashion meetings in these runway meetings and seeing that there was this lack of knowledge in disability because nobody had ever included us. Like even me as an employee, the way I was treated, I was like, this is not, I'm not an intern. Like I'm a senior publicist. Why are you treating me like this? You know, like I am not, I'm not here to just be an assistant. So there was always that like consistency of unequal treatment. And then there was, there was a lot of unfair representation in, in, in the industry. People were yeah. kind of just checking off black models, Asian models, you know just to kind of say, okay, we have some diversity, but it wasn't represented to the core of the kind of, yeah,
0: it's all surface yeah,
1: of the kind of representation that we need to really you know potentialize that this is a three sixty issue. This is not just a let me put a model up there and she will represent this is an issue that comes from. A history of being oppressed this is an issue that comes from healthcare. this is an issue that comes in politics you know this is not just let me look cute and we're done here
0: it i feel like the theme so far is is just around just having like let's have authentic conversations and real conversations whether that's you know with with kids and in school, but then also what you're experiencing, you know, when you, you entered into the, the, the workforce and, and to your point of like, just bringing in people to just kind of check a box in terms of like who to be there versus let's actually have a conversation and just knowing a little bit about your work, like talk about the realistic scenarios and situations that you as well as many are, are up against in the world that, You know, just just some some attention and some energy towards these modifications, whether that's physical spaces or in conversation and whatnot, can have such huge impact, right?
1: I agree. I think everything starts with a conversation. I think everything starts with communication, because that's where we can, you know, agree to disagree or agree or disagree. Um, But I definitely think that execution is also a huge part B to get to the part C. And I, think yeah. that, you know, I think America capitalizes a lot on, let me do a panel. Let me sit here and talk about how important this is. But when I ask you to get to the nitty gritty and do the work and include more disabled people in your, in your, in your job force, when I ask you, what are you doing to make this building, this infrastructure more accessible? It's all a room full of cricket crickets. Yeah. yeah. You know, so yeah, we, we communication is the essential role. But I think that disabled America is at the core part of execution at this point.
0: Okay. I have to ask for you, with your mind, you know, just throughout your life dealing with everything that you've brought up and all the, you know, the 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 conversations that essentially didn't happen, or the the little segments that you heard that, you know, people just didn't understand and whatnot. And then you you're faced with, you know, all of these. Different situations in the workforce, like how how have you mentally processed those situations, and from from what I can tell, flip them into fuel into your work and what you're you're you know you're incredibly passionate about.
1: Mm-hmm. You're asking how do I perceive situations? Well,
0: how, how do you not let those little side comments and all those things just like suck the energy out of your out of your soul?
1: I mean, honestly, Mark, I think at this point, I've always, ever since I was a kid, I, ever since I was very young, and this is why I think I'm, I'm, I'm a big believer that I have an old soul. Everything is about perspective. Yeah. Since I was a kid, I was like, this world is about perspective. Beauty is subjective. And so is ugliness um success is underrated success is overrated you know i for me everything is just black and white and i think it's because i've had the opportunity to have a disability and to be able to see life through a disability and live life with my disability and i think that you know i'm 28 i'm i'm fairly young i just turned 28 your 20s are your new teens And then your 30s or your 20s. And then like that, we just keep going backwards.
0: Keep going. I'm feeling better about myself too here.
1: (laughs) But, you know, ever since I was a young kid, I realized I'm the disabled one. But my oldest sister is being neglected because of my disability. Because Mm. my parents are putting all of their effort, all of their energy on me. Yeah, she's. She's in friend's house all the time, having fun and singing. And she's in dance classes four times a week. But at the core, she's being neglected. And
0: yeah. these are
1: issues that as a family, we've had to face now in our adulthood, because that's what you do. You bottle things mm-hmm. up. And then when you become an adult, you're like, fuck, why do I have social anxiety? Yeah. Oh, my God, why can I be in relationships? And oh, my God, why do I have this relationship with my dad? It's because as a kid and a teenager, you don't have time to process until you're left out alone in this world. So as soon as I realized that, I'm like, everything is just perspective. And you think about it, you know, and I've always seen this um, in in my PR career. There were some women and men who are the happiest they can be by being nail techs, by being nail people. Mm -hmm. And other people would think, you're you're good off making what 700 bucks a week and like you're good if, one, if that makes them happy so be it you're the one failing thinking that money yeah. is happiness
0: yeah i've always admired your mind i mean and you know i'm not just saying that because we work together <laughs> of course but i you know in preparing for this i was thinking of of a view, of course and i was thinking of A chapter I wrote when I studied Stephen Hawking. Uh, And uh, there's this line, and this is just, this is so you in terms of perspective, obviously, completely different situations, but there's this line in the book that I pulled. It's just a quote of, of, of Stephen Hawking. And he said, I have been very lucky my disability has not been a serious handicap. Indeed, it has probably given me more time than most people to pursue the quest for knowledge. And I remember reading that when I was doing the research because at that time, I think he was basically, you know, he had, for, for those who don't know, I think most do, but he had ALS, but he was basically communicating and moving by just winking his cheek. Like that's at the, at the end, that's, that's the only movement he had. And and to read a line like that is, I mean, talk about perspective, right? Where there's so many other, you know, so many other people would have just kind of given up, right? And there's elements of that when I'm hearing you to speak about perspective of there's so sure there's a disability there, but that doesn't mean that, you know, my work's not important, that my life's not important, that, you know, I can't do incredible things and you're doing these things, right? Um, It's beautiful.
1: You know, I think, well, thank you. Thank you, Mark. Um, But I think it's also important that people realize that at a very young age, because if not, you're going to yeah. spend a good amount of your life beating yourself up to things that are not your fault, um, and just being in a prison, you know, on your own by these societal issues that we can see them as an opportunity to really um, make a change.
0: For sure. Well, was there something? Was there something that helped you gain that perspective or shift? Like, did you have a mentor? Were you following someone? Like, what was it that did it for you?
1: Not really. Like, I just, I remember always as a young kid, I just, I had that mindset. My parents injected a confidence in me that still at this age, I wonder where it came from. Because I'm very naturally confident. I don't, I, I barely care what I look like in the mornings. Uh, my favorite outfits are joggers, boots, and crop tops. I rarely ever try hard to look good because I already think I look good, and I don't mean this in like <laughs> I don't mean this in like um in like an egotistical way. The yeah. parents were really good at always um letting me know that yeah, you have a voice, and yeah, you have a space in this earth, you know. To speak up your mind and to be like everybody else despite the challenges and the status quo but for me a lot of it was when I was growing up I was so rebellious Mark I got kicked out of high school um oh (laughs) there are so many stories I was sneaking out of the house at 16 to go party I was so I was always like living my best disabled life I like like I never cared you know I was always like well I remember this one time I had just, I was 16 and I had just had my, a surgery, a surgery where I had a full cast up to my hip. And one of our friends who who always threw the most amazing Christmas parties was having his party. And he texted me, he's like, I put a little ramp at the entrance for you to come in with your wheelchair. And I was like, oh my God, what do you mean? Like, I don't even know if my parents are going to let me go. And they were like, oh, no, we already spoke to your parents. Like, you're coming. (laughs) Oh,
0: wow. My
1: my friends picking me up and, like, putting out the little concrete pavement for me to get into the party. Like, I always say, like, you just have to make a statement and people will want you in the room. No matter what you look like, what you're wearing, how much you weigh. Like, people don't care. People just care about how you make them feel. Yeah.
0: Well, I felt that. I mean, that's one of the things I felt when we were together at that event and when you kind of pulled me aside and explained what was going on. We can get into that as well cuz that's the, you know, you're also human, right? And and you know, you're 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 running your own business. You're doing something that obviously is incredibly passionate and and mission-driven and seems very aligned with what you want to put out into this world. But it can come at a, a, a at a cost, right? Like we see this, I see this often with with entrepreneurs, and I'm I'm victim of this as well. It's almost harder, you know, when you're working for yourself, especially when you're working in, in a topic or in an area that you're super passionate about, that you burn yourself out in a way. Right. It's not like someone else, it's not like your boss is telling you, hey, you have to put in this number of hours, but we we sometimes don't have those guardrails to be able to to put in the, the boundaries right and that's kind of how we met i remember and, and share as much as you want of course but I, I just remember the intro conversation just saying something has to change and you know you were emotional uh, obviously about it and i think at that time uh where you know we're you were drinking something like three oh, energy yeah. drinks just to, to get through the day so right just why don't you provide a little context and kind of where you're at and and, and why you asked me those questions. Yeah. That's the step most people don't take.
1: It was crazy. I remember at that point, I was working on like three brands at once. Um, I wasn't sufficient at the people I was hiring to help me with those roles. So obviously, that made, that makes us feel as leaders like like failures. Um, yeah. and I was just burnt out. You know, I was putting in like 14 hours of work in a day. I was waking up at six. Um, I was trying to also keep up a health routine and eat healthy and, you know, be a mom to Luna, you know, despite her just being a dog, she takes up time. She was just a puppy. Um, and I remember just feeling really unhappy because I was putting my energy in things that number one, didn't make me happy. And number two, there was no sustainability. I remember sustainability was a huge topic, um, back in the day at that point in my life. Mm -hmm. And, um, I was on like four energy drinks a day because of how burnt out I was. I was having to try a new energy drink like every week because I found that it wasn't working anymore, (laughs) I wasn't sleeping. So there was just a lot going on. And I think that was me pushing myself to be in rooms and to be in situations that I knew I didn't enjoy. And I think as, as an entrepreneur, you as as business people, Whether you're a model or whether you're, you know, doing a startup, we fail at that. We fail at wanting to be everywhere to see what Mm -hmm. hits off, to see what takes, you know, what becomes successful. And I think that's one of the biggest mistakes that we do. We start everything thinking this is going to be it. This is going to make me pivot. You know, this is what's going to make me, you know, land on Forbes 30 under 30. And then into it, you're like, well, I don't really even like this anyway. Yeah. But why did I start off thinking this would be it when like, I don't even enjoy it. So it doesn't have potential to sustain itself to be it. And I remember, you know, after like two days into your session I was like, I feel like this is what I need. And I remember I would get so emotional in the breath work. I'm like, why am I crying in breath work? Like, this is so weird. And I remember I'm like, fuck, I think, like, I think I have to talk to Mark. <laughs> I, was, I was like, for some reason, he is here and I am here and I'm going through what I'm going through and he might be able to help me out. Just yeah. me, because I think at the end of the day, you have to do the work yourself.
0: Yeah, right? well, for sure.
1: Um, and I remember talking to you. I remember telling you a bit of what was going on, what was happening, but I fully opened up. Like I had never opened up like that in a matter of years since I started my entrepreneurial career. And I think it was because I had bottled up so much that I was just done.
0: Yeah. You reached the max. Yeah. Well, it was, I, I remember our, our first conversation and leaving that and just, I I just felt grateful that you know you you felt safe enough and comfortable enough to to open up and and share and obviously I didn't know that it would lead to us working together after but yeah just and now in retrospect just so just like so damn proud of you for for acknowledging that something needed to change right yeah. because the the big thing for me and then obviously you know you, most of us know like the, the the work that you're doing at this point. The ripple effect of you putting your mind first is exponential, mm-hmm. right? Because then your, your work, you know, is able to spread. You're able to take on uh, aligned projects and not burn out and, and so forth. So it's, it's so important. It's so important.
1: No, and I mean, even throughout working with you, you know, I realized that I had to let go of projects that weren't making me happy. You know, I think we're prone to see. And I feel that as entrepreneurs, we have this luxury. You know, we can sure. get up in the morning and we can say, I don't want to do that anymore. And I already have this other side of me that makes me enough money to quit this. Yeah. You know, other people, yeah. you, you know, I come from an immigrant family. My parents did not have a choice where they made money. They just had to get up and make, and make money.
0: Yeah. And just you go. Know? So
1: I do consider myself to be very damn privileged. And I use my words very lightly when other people ask me for advice and career and stuff. I wasn't able to quit my job until I was 25 to get into my social media career. And I'm 28 now. That was three years ago. You know, so yeah. I, think, I think it's important that we consider all perspectives and see how vague and open this issue is. But I was at a time where I knew I had to let go of some things that just weren't. For me anymore, and I think Mm -hmm. as entrepreneurs and as people, we have that we have life faces But many of us fail at knowing when something, when time is up. Yeah, many of us want to stay in it because we're taught to be. We have to defeat, and we need to fight, and we need to get to the finish race. And at at a a point, it's like, well, do I really even want to take this to the finish line?
0: Yeah, you know. Well, it's totally. I've thought about this as well, like just because it, it's ingrained in, in in the culture that like that everything has to be so hard. And if it's not so hard, it's like you're not trying hard enough, which I don't know. I just don't buy into it. I'm not saying like there is you have to work hard, no doubt. But I don't think we have to just go max and burn ourselves out to um, what's the word? Like feel like we've earned any type of success right because you if if you're clear you can be you can be pretty intentional and focused on all right i'm I'm going all in on these things and mm-hmm. staying focused and also achieve you know really good success like that
1: I agree, and I think that the first three to five years of anybody's entrepreneurial career is for you to figure out what you're good at,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. and then
1: from five to so, you know, 10 or five to seven, you need to pivot that.
0: Yeah. And hold, you know, whether, in, it's yeah. content,
1: whether it's podcasting, whether it's content creation. For me, it's content creation. Like that's, that's it and modeling. And then maybe I'll find something else along life because life is very vertical.
0: Yeah. But
1: I, you know, I feel that we're so infused into like FOMO like, oh, I have to get into this because it's hot right now. And because if I miss out, I'm a miss out. Like I'm over that already. Yeah. I'm over that I know that if my heart's not in it, I'm I can't sustain it. And I think that's the issue as a creative. I would rather live off a can of beans and rice a month than be and, and, and doing what truly makes me happy and what I can sustain in my day-to-day life because for me, routine is everything. You know, I have a certain hour I wake up, I have a certain hour I'm out in the day getting a walk luna has a certain hour she goes and gets her walks Mm -hmm. you know it's the only thing i know i can control and when something inside of that is not sustained it's not worth it yeah i don't want it
0: yeah well let's talk about some of that i mean we we haven't spoken in a little while so i don't know if this was you know five months ago or so i'd know exactly what your routine is but (laughs) I wanted to ask you what your practices are
1: doing great, and I think to show your success story. Okay, so thank you for that. You're a great mental health strategist, so that's why we haven't spoken. But you know, when I'm going through something, you're the first one. Oh, oh, for sure. Crap, I need to text Mark now.
0: Yeah, for sure. You you know, I'm always there, of course. Uh, But I do want to know, like, what what are some of your non negotiables right now? What's working well for you? Um, and I guess, what are you excited about? Is there anything you want to experiment with?
1: For me, it's definitely getting up, you know, by seven and walking Luna by eight. That's yeah. like my thing right now. Um, I'm fasting until 11. Okay. Because it makes me a lot more productive at tasks that I have to get throughout the day. Like obviously today I had breakfast a bit earlier because then I knew I would be starving during the episode. Sure. But usually I'll fast until 11 because I feel more productive. Mm. I feel more um, sharp yeah. when I've food in my system or a coffee that makes me extreme jittery with no food. Okay. Um, I'm also cycle syncing. I think it's very important for women to go with the flow of their cycle Yeah, because you can really optimize energy levels. I am sick and tired of hearing women say that they can be just like men. No, we cannot. We have <laughs> very different hormones in our body that yeah. don't allow us to scientifically be as, you know, a beat as you guys are. But I think if we're able to potentialize what we can, I think that makes us the most successful. Yeah. On cycle syncing, from my activities, to what I'm eating, to what I'm wearing, and to who I'm hanging out with and where I'm spending my time. Um, And then, of course, I'm just living.
0: And I love I it.
1: Important part, you know, you can have all of these routines. You can have all of these agendas and schedules. But if you don't take a little part of that to just go out with a friend, have fun and just live, I think you're missing out on life.
0: I agree. I agree. Yeah. I think that, I think the routines and and all the practices, I mean, they're, they serve as a, as like a, you know, foundation, of course, just Mm -hmm. like our nutrition and whatnot. And, you know, as long as they're somewhat in check. I mean, the the idea is, that, or at least the goal for me, is that all of those things just help you be more and more present and, exactly. and self-aware. And if you're present, and like you said, like someone calls, say, hey, let's do a dinner, and and you can just go in and drop in. I mean, there's nothing better than getting the max out of those kind of experiences, yeah, right?
1: I, I agree. And I've also been very like playful with my schedule. I'm like, if somebody comes in, And tells me the same day that they want to hang out. I'm going to go.
0: Oh, I like it.
1: I'm going to go. Like, I think, I think sometimes we need a little disruption in our
0: schedules. Sure.
1: And I find that those meetings are the ones I have the most fun in. Yeah. Unexpected when it's quick, you know, not something that like a month in, I'm like, okay, well, yeah, I'm going to put you in the calendar. Okay. Like what? Yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And that's, that's kind of the life that I was living last year. Like I had to schedule my friends for coffee in my Google calendar.
0: Yeah. It just feels off. Right.
1: Like forget, or I would have something else to do. And like, of course I feel like every entrepreneurial career, it has its peaks. Yeah. Last was my high peak. This year things are a bit slower. So I'm taking this time instead of complaining, why is it slow? Why am I not at my peak? Why do I feel like I'm struggling to internalize and be like? Let me get creative. Let mm-hmm. me see what new content I can come up with, even though I post one piece of content every day. Yes. But let me, see, you know, what new trend I can start. Let me see what people want to talk about. Like I feel that these slow phases in artists' careers are so frowned upon.
0: Mm-hmm. But it's you need like, them. You're so you're so right. You you need. It's like it's the, the it's like the seasons, right? creative yeah yeah it's like like the seasons yes yeah you need those those uh, like you need the winter to experience summer and spring and fall and all of that and but it's for for whatever reason we you know we really put a lot of focus on well i just want the sunshine of the summer and the hot weather and all of that um but you know there's the contrast of those other seasons and like i think what you're experiencing right now too is just that mental space Mm -hmm. think and see okay like this is where i need to go or this is what feels right and it's hard to see that when you're just jammed like floor to ceiling with meetings and and stuff in your head
1: i completely agree i mean i remember last year i was on a plane every other week i was jammed like panel i mean you remember i mean like i was our sessions like Every week, somewhere else, and yeah, it's true. I, I wasn't creative, yeah, yeah. I wasn't having fun with the craft. And when I don't have fun, it's over for me. I get depressed, I have to call Mark, I have to <laughs> two meetings with Mark a week. And all of that obviously is great. I think it's like being this super busy, unavailable artist, entrepreneur, it's not good yeah like you can't always be a workaholic, like don't get me wrong i have I have a very strict routine, and I work from a certain hour to a certain hour, but I've gotten really good at at knowing, okay, you need to like go walk, go to Central Park, you know, go meet up with a friend, go play ball with Luna, and she's really good at keeping me accountable because when she wants to play, she wants to play totally so I have no option but you know to go and take her out,
0: yeah. Well, one thing I did want to ask you about just uh, because I love, I love how you're just saying yes to, you know, some of these, these like chance encounters or time with friends and whatnot, but what, what do you practically do? Like if you had, is it just that you're, you have time blocked or just time that's open and you're consciously not scheduling as much or do you just shift stuff around? Like what's, what works for you?
1: So remember how we worked on my schedule a couple months ago and how we divided it? It was Mondays and Tuesdays are strategy, writing, organizing days. Yeah. Um, And you're going to be very proud of me about my (laughs)
0: day. I'm always proud of you. I
1: I, I did it. Um, Thursdays, Wednesdays and Thursdays are content days, Um, you know, shooting days and stuff. And then Fridays are catch up days. But Fridays, I am off at 2.
0: P.m. Oh, awesome. Yes. I
1: tried I tried one, but I think 2 p.m. is the time that works for me for now. Yeah. And I'm not working until 8 p.m. on Fridays anymore. Yes. But um, I'm being a lot more lenient with what I add to my schedule. And I'm also trying to interact positively with what I'm able to finish in a day. Mm, Yeah. Where before I was adding like 10 things into one day and it was like an hour per task. Yeah. Now I'm adding like three, four and I'm like, okay, well, I got two done. Luna, let's go play.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Because I know I got those two things done very well. And I know they're ready to be turned in. And even if I have to work a Saturday or Sunday to do that one thing, because I need that mental landscape for it, I will do it. Yeah. But I know it's going to be done
0: exponentially wow totally totally oh i mean beautiful obviously i mean i'm a bit biased here but i'm super (laughs) proud of of some of those adjustments uh i mean just we were joking by text uh, just even seeing you you know you sending out a calendly link to book i was like yes that's awesome you know because that's such a time saver uh as well uh, amazing. I mean, well, we can continue for, for obviously quite a bit of time. We we should definitely do like a part two at one point and dive into some really specific topics as well and whatnot. But I want to respect your time. And I just want to ask you, you know, is there is there like one kind of central message that you would love to leave with this audience? Um,
1: uh, over the weekend, I was... Hanging out with friends. And this is one of my very good friends. She's also a disability activist, but she's older. And we were hanging out with her husband. And I'm like, guys, times are tough. The economy is not the same as when you guys were growing up. Um, Things are expensive. I really think the future is Asian. I'm reading this phenomenal book that's literally called The Future is Asian. Oh, and really? It just- about How Asia is, has been dominating the world for years. We've just been slow to see it, yeah. and how it will, you know, dominate. Um,
0: Ray Dalio talks about this as well.
1: And I'm like, guys, things, things are getting rough out here, right? For somebody who is a college graduate, for somebody who has a minimum, you know, wage-paying job, things are getting very difficult. And I asked them, what are some advice, you know, that 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 you guys have? You know, mm. for me, you know, I'm 20 and I'm young. <laughs> what is your advice? And automatically they went into money. They were like, invest your money, max out your, R- your Roth IRAs, try to buy your first property at 30. I'm like, guys, I, I, I know the topic was centered around money, but I'm asking about life.
0: Yeah, yeah. So
1: what's your advice for me in life? And he said, go slow and enjoy the journey. Because life is too long. <laughs> he yeah. literally said it, he was like, Life is too long. And I was like, <laughs> perfect. Like that's all I wanted to hear. Like, we're we're doing great. We're closing off Friday. I'm going to bed. Thank you so much. Like, that was it. And I think like they were so quick to like go into finances. Yeah. Like match out your Roth IRAs, buy your first property at twenty, twenty-nine, thirty, don't wait until thirty-five. Um, try to buy when the markets crash. You know, they were so quick to talk about money. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I know the conversation started around money, but I'm asking about life. Yeah. And they were just like, girl, just enjoy.
0: Just enjoy.
1: And I, think, you know, I think, I, I think it's important, you know, we are living in a situation where I don't know if I'm going to buy my first property soon, but I don't care anymore. Mm -hmm. I think the economy put me in this position and now I don't have another choice, but to just sit back and relax.
0: Yeah. It, you know, one of the many gifts that you've offered offered in this conversation is, is definitely just perspective. And I, you know, it's interesting how this kind of came full circle to what I'm, what I'm feeling as your, just your perspective and, Also, in that, like life advice, it's Mm -hmm. we can, we can, that's the thing that we can control. Like, we Uh can't control what's about to happen. Sure, we can be smart and be strategic on some moves financially or business and whatnot. But at the end of the day, there's a beautiful way to lift a lot of mental weight and a lot of mental pressure. And that's just to take a positive and present and probably unconventional perspective. Uh, from most and just see the world as, to your point, you know, just as a, as a nice journey, you know, and enjoy it.
1: I agree. One thing that, one thing that has me thinking a lot is every time I I meet somebody new or I catch up with an old friend, they ask me, are you living in New York City alone or with a roommate? And I'm like, no, you know, I have my own place. You know, it's, 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 it's a normal, decent sized place, but I have my own place. And they're like, you are so lucky to have your own place. And I'm like, the fact that we see having our own place in New York as privilege and as luck goes to show how messed up the economy is where people can't even afford housing and have to 40 and almost 50 still having roommates.
0: Yeah, for sure, right? What is happening?
1: We have it all messed up. Yeah. You know, I think flip the perspective Work on your safe, work on yourself daily and just keep reinventing yourself. I I I really think that's where life is. You know, you don't take none of this to the grave. Yeah. You really don't.
0: <laughs> uh, well, you definitely I mean, I think you said this at one point. You're an old soul in uh you know, at twenty-eight, yeah. that's for sure. Cause if I think of of the many conversations I've had, I mean, wow, there's there's just a lot of beautiful nuggets and and perspective perspective shifters and practices and everything. So um I just I just want to thank you. Thank you for making the time obviously to come on the show, but a huge a higher thank you for 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 being you and working on your mind and putting in, you know, the effort and the focused effort to put out your work out there because it's just so it's so exponential and so needed, and like you're really just even getting started. That's exciting. Yeah.
1: Thank you for having me. And you know, I also want you to realize that you you got me here. You know, you got me to this space of being in peace with my mental health and being be to be able to actually flourish into the things I care about and I want to be. And I think that's the core reality of life.
0: Mm, thank you. you. Know?
1: So thank you, Re- Mark.
0: Received. Received. The heart feels full. Until the next conversation. Thanks, Paula.
1: Thank you.